The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. Message us at threestrands.church slash contact. Well, that was, uh, that was one of our favorite scenes growing up, me and my friends. As 9 and 10 year olds, we uh, really enjoyed watching these type of movies. We wanted to really become like one of these spy secret agents. But we, we grew up in a smaller town where that's really not possible. And at this time, churches started to get security. So I approached my dad, who was the current youth pastor, and I was like, listen, I think we should start a security program. And I got with some of my friends, and I was like, hey, would you, would you be willing to do that with me? And, and they're like, absolutely, that'd be sick. You know, we can be like secret agents or whatever. So I, I, went, I went to my dad, and I was like, are, are you sure we could do that? He's like, yeah, go for it. So I found this lady in the church who could make T-shirts. And I was like, listen, I need security T-shirts. I need it to say security on the front, and I need it on the back as well. She got those printed. We headed to Walmart. And I got those metal handcuffs, you know, I was going to carry those with pen and paper, and we were all set. Now, at this time, my dad was actually ministering to a town nearby. Uh, this town was a little rough around the edges, and also some of the kids that came out of it were a little rough as well. Uh, they also sometimes would cause trouble in the youth ministry, and, and so I was like, you know what, we'll, we'll monitor them, we'll just make sure they are behaving. Well, one particular Sunday after the church service, I saw one of the girls who liked to cause trouble sprinting down the hallway. So I looked to my friend and I was like, we probably should take care of that. So we, we uh, run and get into a foot pursuit with her. And eventually, we're able to catch up to her. And at that moment, I did the most religious thing I could do, which was to simply just trip her so she would fall to the ground. So once she, she was to the ground, we quickly got those metal handcuffs and, and got her all taken care of and got her up. And we were explaining, listen, you can't run down the hall. You're going to cause an accident. You're going to run into an, some old lady and she's going to fall over. Like, you can't do that. And she kind of understood. And she was like, all right, all right. I guess I won't run down the hall. So I was like, all right, as long as you know, then we'll let you go. So I started taking off the handcuffs. Uh, one came off, and then I started messing with the other one, and it would not come off. So I was like, okay, maybe if I push it a little further, sometimes that'll loosen it. Well, I pushed it further, and it just got tighter. I was like, well, this is getting awkward. So I took, I took her to my dad, and he was like, just like confused. He's like, what? What are you doing? Why is she handcuffed? Like, what's happening? And, and I had to explain, well, uh, she broke the rules, so we took care of it, and now here she is. So he had to get like a little pin and like try to maneuver it in. This is all after the church service too. People are like watching us like try to get this girl out of handcuffs. And eventually he wiggles it free and, and, and the handcuff comes off. So I don't think she ever ran down the hall again. And she respected security. You know, the nine and 10 year olds ruled that day. But what I want to say is every secret agent movie, every spy movie has good guys and it has bad guys. But if the director is really good at his job, he will add a traitor into that movie. What is a traitor? That's somebody who is acting to be like somebody else. For example, a bad guy could be pretending to be a good guy and is working with them. Or a good guy is 
planted into the bad guys to pretend to be the bad guy to get all the information. Well, today we're going to be actually looking at a story in the New Testament that's going to have bad guys, it's going to have a traitor, and it's going to have the good guys. But before we jump into our story in the New Testament, there is a big holiday that's coming up, this event that's coming up in the New Testament that everybody is getting ready to celebrate. And that is called the Passover. And what is the Passover? We have to flip back to the Old Testament and look in the book of Exodus to understand what the Passover is. At this time in the Old Testament, the Israelites were ruled by the Egyptians. Uh, God started making the Israelites more powerful, and Pharaoh over the Egyptians did not like that. He was sick and tired of these Israelites growing in power. So he made the Israelites slaves and made it very hard for them to keep growing. He, uh, the Pharaoh was very mean, and he put a lot of slave drivers over the Israelites so they weren't able to prosper like they were. But God said, listen, uh, it is time for my people to be free. So he called this man Moses. He was like, listen, you need to go to Pharaoh and you need to tell him to let my people go. He needs to be, all of my Israelite people need to be let free from the Egyptians. So Moses goes and tells Pharaoh, listen, I need to take all your slaves and uh, we're leaving. So of course, Pharaoh's like, absolutely not. That is not happening. You cannot do that. So God was like, listen, I'm going to send 10 plagues on you until you let my people go. So Moses delivered this message to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, whatever, you know, bring it on. And Pharaoh eventually gets these plagues that start hitting him one by one by one. And finally, the last and final plague that God sent on the Egyptian people is that he told Moses, have the, have the Israelite people paint the lamb's blood above their doorway. What this signifies is that I am going to send a death angel at night, and that death angel is going to pass over the people who have the lamb's blood above their doorway. So Moses spread the news about this, told the Israelites to do this, and later that night, the death angel would come, and if you did not have the lamb's blood above your doorway, then every firstborn in your family, or every firstborn in the country, would be killed that night. So simply having that lamb's blood would allow that death angel to pass over, and that is where we get the Passover Jewish holiday. This was critical for moving forward because Jewish holiday, or this Jewish holiday was celebrated and still is celebrated. It's like a seven-day event at this point, a seven-day activity that the Jewish holiday or the Jewish people still celebrate to this day. So now understanding that, we're going to jump back and we're going to jump into our story. And I'm going to break this down in three scenes for you today. And we're going to jump back to the New Testament. And our story is found in Luke chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 22, because that's where we're going to be for the rest of the day. And we're going to jump into our first scene of our story today. And we're going to catch up with the disciples and Jesus. They're all together. But we're going to first see, we're going to meet up with the disciple named Judas. Judas is one of the 12 disciples, and we're going to actually see him. He was with all of them, but we're actually going to see him sneak off. So first, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 3 and 4. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to... 
and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus. So what is happening here is uh, simply Judas is being tempted. The easiest way to explain it to us is, is Judas felt temptation. See, we don't sin until we actually fall into temptation. So Judas started thinking, I'm following this guy who is like ticking off a lot of people, uh, ticking off the, or the Pharisees, the, the Jewish officials, the temple guards. Jesus is really bothering them. So Judas, he's like, I wonder what I could get if I betray him. I wonder if I could get a lot of money, a bigger house. What could I get? So he starts thinking about the temptation. But then, as we see in verse 3 and 4, he starts to act on that temptation. We see that Satan simply comes into him and starts taking over. And maybe for you, you probably heard of somebody say, well, you know, I just couldn't handle myself. Or, you know, it just felt like somebody took over and I couldn't handle it and they were just leading me down. Well, that's simply what's happening to Judas here. Satan, Judas has opened that doorway for Satan, and Satan will absolutely come in and take his self-control. Satan will feed on that. Satan moved on that. He's like, yeah, you will get a big payout. Yeah, you will be able to buy a big house. Simply, Satan was taking over Judas's head because Judas fell into the temptation. So he's like, listen, to the Jewish officials, like, I'm going to figure out a time where we can betray Jesus. I'm going to figure out a time where we can all get together and like really figure out a good a plot to, to go against Jesus. The Jewish officials at this time were pumped because they were excited to get rid of this Jesus, Jesus guy. Jesus had been like going against them in every conversation, fighting everything they were saying. They were sick and tired of it, and they just wanted him out. So they were excited to have this guy inside with the good guys. So if you haven't caught it yet, obviously we are going to know who the traitor is. We know who the bad guys are. We know who the good guys are. But I want you to think about it. I want you to take a step back and really think about it as the disciples. Because this was all unfolding. We're obviously reading it from the future content. But this was all unfolding right in front of the disciples' eyes. So what's happening here is Judas now has to sneak back and meet back up with the disciples. So once Judas is back, we're, we're going to be jumping into our next scene here in just a second. Judas is going to meet back up with the disciples. He has this idea of betraying Jesus. He has it all worked out. He's ready. He's excited. He's wanting to get that big payout. And we're going to eventually move to our second scene here. In our second scene, we're going to catch back up with the disciples. Judas is back with them. And this is where we see Jesus. He's saying, hey, you know, we need to get ready for this Passover meal. We need you, or I'm going to send a couple of you to go out and find a place where we're able to sit down and have this Passover meal. So go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 8. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can get, so we can eat it together. And what's interesting here is Jesus actually tells them in a few verses later that there will be a man carrying a water pitcher and you'll be able to find him and he will take you to a home where the owner will allow us to have that final meal. 
So it was, it was weird. It would be weird just reading that, like, why is that important? But in this century, a woman would be normally carrying the water pitcher. So this would really stand out. A guy just carrying a water pitcher, uh, John and Peter would be easily able to find this guy. So they were able, they, they went ahead and they found him and they talked to the owner and they got uh, the room that Jesus was referring to. So they went ahead and started preparing this place so that way they would have a meal. And going back to the Old Testament, just for a second, the, the Israelites had unleavened bread, which is like flat bread. It doesn't raise up. They didn't have enough time for it to rise. So during the Passover meal, this is the type of bread that they would have. It's just flat bread because it was representing that bread that they weren't able to let rise due to that Passover. So at this time, they had to get all this preparation ready to go. And rather than me explain uh, this, this, pa- or this uh, meal that Jesus has, because there's going to be a couple big announcements during this meal, uh, be, rather than me explain it and walk through it, and since we're talking about movies, I'm going to show you a scene that is going to really dive into it. It's really going to show you the emotional side of it. And I really want you to really focus on the emotional side of it because it's a lot easier when we actually see it unfolding. We're going to see some big announcements from Jesus, so I hope you, want, I hope you can catch those. And then we'll kind of discuss what we just watched here and just a second. But if you haven't caught it yet, the good guys are the disciples and Jesus. The bad guys are the Jewish officials and the, the temple guards. And, but the traitor is going to be Judas. So I want you to just keep that in mind as we move to this next scene. And this will be our second part. Go ahead. This is our last meal together. Before I die. What do you mean? I'm going to be betrayed to my enemies. Arrested. and condemned to death. Don't be afraid. Trust in God. Trust in me also. You know the way to where I'm going. You don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life.
is. This is my body. This is my blood. Remember me by doing this. I'm going to the Father, but I will always be with you. Now I must tell you that one of you here will betray me. So as you can see, there was a lot of emotion at this meal. Jesus, who the disciples have been following this whole time, announces, my time has come. It is time for me to leave this world and to move forward with my mission. The disciples take this as like absolute shock. They, they weren't expecting that you could see their faces. They were emotional. They've been following. They've been dedicated to this man who's been teaching them and teaching them. But yet he just says his mission is coming to a close. They really can't really understand this. It's a, it's a lot to process. And then he drops another thing. One of you who've been following me this whole time is going to betray me. And that is Judas, as we know. Judas has plotted to betray Jesus. The disciples just are overwhelmed. They, they can't handle this, this news. They're, they're sorrowful. So what we see is and we're going to move into our third scene here, our third and final scene. The disciples start to, to gather their stuff and move forward and get out of the room. And, and Jesus takes them to the Mount of Olives. Obviously, we see Judas has taken off uh, to go back to the Jewish officials. Jesus takes the rest of the disciples to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus leaves them and he goes and prays. 
And I encourage you this week to really look through the full chapter of 22 in Luke and and see exactly what Jesus says. But it's a very powerful prayer that he prays to the Father. And he's asking for God to take the cup of suffering away because he knows what is to come. He knows his time of death is approaching. And so after he finishes this prayer, he meets back up with the disciples and he finds them asleep. And he's like, are you kidding me? Why are you sleeping? This is crazy because my time is almost done here. Instead of sleeping, you need to be on your knees praying. You need to fall to your knees and really think about what is coming. Because I have given you all the tools to go spread the gospel. But obviously, the guy you've been following, when he announces that he's going to die, it's going to be hard to follow that. It's going to be hard not to be sad. It's going to be hard not to become depressed. Jesus did not want to have them fall into this temptation uh, of just sitting there and just feeling sorry for themselves. He was like, no, 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 no. You need to get up and you need to pray. But as he was saying this, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 47 and 48. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And, And the reason Judas is coming over, this whole crowd just shows up, And Judas approaches Jesus. The reason he goes over to Jesus to kiss him is because he's allowing the Jewish officials, he's allowing these a couple Roman guards that were with him to know who to arrest. And then Jesus is just standing there, but the disciples actually take action here. They get up and they actually draw their swords and actually one of the disciples swings the swords at one of the guards and he actually cuts his ear off. And right when that happens, Jesus says, no, 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 no more of this. And he simply picks up the guy's ear and puts it back on. A miracle for the bad guys. Jesus literally helps the bad guys here by healing one of them right in front of them. But the, the Jewish officials don't, you know, they, they've heard about it. They've seen it before. They, they don't, they're tired of this Jesus guy. And so they start to arrest him. And Jesus is almost like a little like sarcastic here because like he he says, well, I've been in the temple teaching like you could have addressed arrested me there. Why'd you have to like come and hunt me down? Like I've been there the whole time, almost like mocking them, making fun of them a little bit. He's like, you didn't need to come out here like with a huge group and like try to hunt me down. I'll go with you. So the Jewish officials take Jesus into custody and they take him back to their, their home and they start making fun of him. They start beating him. And it's a rough night for Jesus. But it's about to get worse. Because the Jewish officials uh, wake up the next morning, get Jesus, and they take him to Pilate. Now, Pilate is one of the rulers of, of, Ro- one of, the rulers of that area of Rome um, that is currently over their part. Now, that's important here in just a second. But the Jewish officials take Jesus to him. And they're like, we are tired of him. We want him to be killed. 
And Pilate asks, like, what, what has he done wrong? And they try, to, they try to explain, but Pilate says, no, 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 I have not found anything wrong, but you mentioned that he's from Galilee. So since he's from there, I'm going to send him to another ruler, kind of like a governor. He, I'm going to send him to another ruler named Herod. And he sends Jesus there. And Herod asks the same type of questions. And Herod finds nothing wrong. So he's like, listen, I'm just going to send you back to Pilate and he can make the final decision. So Pilate uh, gets Jesus back in front of him. And when Jesus is standing there, again, the Jewish people are starting to chant, we want Barabbas. Now, who's Barabbas? Barabbas is a murderer who's been going against the Roman government for a long time. He murdered tons of people. And the Jewish people are asking for him to be released and for Jesus, who's done nothing wrong, to be crucified. Pilate just can't understand it. Like when we read it, we don't understand it. Pilate actually makes sense and he's like, there's no reason to kill him. He's done nothing wrong. Why would you want me to release this murderer who has done a lot wrong? But Pilate eventually falls into peer pressure. He falls into the crowd chanting louder and louder and louder, crucify him. And eventually Pilate's like, all right, well, I guess to make the people happy, I don't want a rebellion because I don't want to get in trouble. So I will go ahead and crucify him. So he goes ahead and starts the process of crucifying. Now what they would do is they would take the whip the cat of nine tails, it was called. It would have like nine strands on it. And it would have broken rocks. It would have broken pieces of metal, broken glass on each end. So when they would whip the person, that stuff would dig into their skin and start to rip chunks out. This, this might be rated R part. So start ripping chunks out of the skin. And the blood starts pouring down. And then this particular case, Jesus is forced to endure it. 39 times he's whipped with that. The Romans were masters at crucifixion because they were masters at keeping you alive until the very last moment they chose when you died. But they were going to make it the most painful process you could imagine. And on top of that, to make fun of Jesus, who has done nothing wrong, they put a purple robe on him, which signified royalty. You would only wear purple if you were in a high place or, or an uh, important role. So they, would, they put this purple robe on him, and then they put a crown of thorns into his skull. They pushed it down, and blood just started draining from his head from it. These thorns were huge and they would go straight into his head. And the reason they did that is because they were making fun of him, saying that he was the king of the Jews, so he needed a crown. It gets worse from here because then they hand him the cross. They give him this, this wooden beam that he is going to die on. And they say, you're going to carry it up to the hill where you will die. 
So eventually he starts carrying it up and obviously halfway through he's not even able to continue carrying it because it's getting, it's just too heavy. He can't handle it. And he's been beaten, made fun of. This whole way to the hill he's been being mocked. People are throwing things at him. And there's this man named Simon who's standing there and one of the Romans uh, grab him and tells him, hey, you need to carry the cross for him the rest of the way. So this man, Simon, carries the cross up to the hill. And once they're up at the top of the hill, the Romans put Jesus on the cross. They lay him down and they put massive nails through each one of his hands. And then they put his feet together and put a massive nail through his ankle. Jesus is now on the cross. And when they would raise you up onto the cross, what you would have to do is if you were up there, you had to use your leg strength to move yourself up so that way you could get a breath because you're just hanging there. So they made the reason they would do this is so people would, the people who were getting crucified would last a long time. They could last for a couple days, they might only last for a couple hours. It just depends on them. And you would have to simply just keep moving your legs up so they could breathe. Jesus was on the cross for a couple hours. And Jesus, during that time, he says they don't know what they are doing. And eventually, right before he passes away on the cross, he says that it is finished. And he passes away. Dies right there in front of everyone. This innocent man that the Jewish people have released a murderer for has just died. It looks like in our story that the bad guys have won. A lot of times in movies, when we, we're following the bad guys, there's always that part where we are catching up with them and, they think, and we think they are going to win. There's like no way out for the good guys. There's no way it's possible that the good guys could get out of it. And it does not look like there's any way Jesus is going to get out of this because he simply just died on the cross. There's no way out. A man named Joseph actually comes and asks Pilate, hey, can I get the body of Jesus and put him in a, a proper burial tomb rather than just thrown with all the other bodies that have been crucified? So Joseph takes the body of Jesus and puts it in this tomb. But the Jewish officials knew better. They were like, listen, we're going to put a couple Roman guards in front of this tomb. That way, no followers of this Jesus guy are able to come and take his body and say he's risen. So they know that his followers might come and take his body to say that he is risen. So they're like, we're not going to let that happen because we're tired of this guy. We're tired of his teachings. We're tired of him. So they put these Roman guards in front of the tomb. The bad guys have won. Or have they? Three days later, a couple women go to pay their like respects to the tomb. And they see that the tombstone, the big circle tomb, has been moved away. The door has been moved to the side. It was empty. Jesus had risen again. 
Why did he even die on the cross in the first place for us? It's because of your sins. It's because of your sins. It's because of my sins. It's because of their sins. It's because of our sins in the future, past, present, and your kids' future, past, present. He died for all of our sins on that cross. Now, that would have meant nothing to anybody. It would have meant nothing unless he rose from the dead, and he did. Three days later, Jesus rolled away the stone and he rose. And in fact, he showed himself to the disciples. He showed himself to many, many witnesses, which we have accounts of in Scripture. He shows them the nail, where the nails had gone in his hand. He explained, it is about time for me to ascend into heaven and you will be gifted the Holy Spirit so that way you are able to go tell the rest of the world that I died for you. That I died for your sins and I rose again so that way your sins are forgiven. This Holy Spirit will come and take you out to many nations. It will help you share the gospel. It will help you share what I did for you. Jesus had rose from the dead. Now, when we think back to that last supper, Jesus was breaking the bread and saying, this is my body. And then he broke or then he poured the juice and, and said, this is my blood that I'm shedding for you. Now, in that time, the disciples weren't really understanding what he was saying. He, they were like, is this another like a little bit confusing parable that you might be telling us? He's like, they don't really fully grasp that. But you better believe after he died and rose again, how much more that this meal was symbolic. Now that they can hold the bread and remember his body, they watched him get beaten. They watched him get crucified. Now they can have this symbol of bread to remember what he did. And then they can take this juice to remember the blood that he poured out for every one of them and every one of us. And that is one of the main reasons we take communion. And that's why Jesus demonstrated it with the disciples. And he said, you should gather together and do this in remembrance of me. Jesus rose from the grave. In just a minute, we're actually going to take communion today. We're going to remember what Jesus has done on the cross for you and for everyone. Jesus died for you, and he rose again. We're going to take communion, and if you've accepted Jesus into your heart, if you've accepted that relationship with him, I encourage you to really think about all the emotions and just think about why you made the decision in the first place to follow him. And I want you to take that bread and I want you to really remember what happened to him. And then I want you to take the juice and I want you to remember again what happened to him. And we're going to jump into that here in just a second. But I want to also invite you, if you have not accepted Jesus into your heart, 
I want you to just take this time of communion and just sit there and pray and, and beg for forgiveness for all your sins that you may have committed because Jesus has already paid on the cross for you. So your mission, if you so choose to accept it, is to accept a relationship with him. And those who've already accepted Jesus into your heart, your mission, if you so choose to accept it, is to go out to the rest of the world and share the good news that Jesus has risen from the grave. What's going to happen is the band is going to come up and communion is going to be dispersed. And as they're playing, I want you to just take some time in prayer and take the communion. Remember what he did on the cross for you. Don't rush it. Spend some time with the Lord. And then when you feel ready, go ahead when you're finished with communion to stand up and worship him. Worship the God who has allowed us an opportunity to spend the rest of our lives in et eternal heaven with him. He has given us the opportunity to have eternal life with him because he rose from the grave. I'm going to pray here in just a second, but I want you to just prepare your hearts for this time of communion. Dear Lord, I pray for this, this moment right now. As, as we are taking communion, I want us to really focus on why we are doing it. Why you went to the cross. Why you shed your blood for us. Why you went through so much pain and suffering that we can't even imagine for us. I pray that as we, we take this, we, we are able to really grasp what you've really done. You've allowed us to have an opportunity to join with you in eternal life someday. I pray all this in Jesus' name. What an amazing challenge from God's Word for all of us. We hope you will start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. And be sure to subscribe to the 3SC Podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.